Chapter 12 The Yurk Pool I dreamed about it that night. I didn't used to dream much, or at least, I seldom recalled my dreams. I dream a lot now. Terrible dreams where I'm trapped in some hideous shape, half human, half insect. I dream about that awful battle in the ant tunnels. I dream about the screaming, slashing massacre when we took the Kondrona at the top of the EGS tower. But I dream most about the yurk pool. I hear the screams and curses of human hosts held in cages while their yurks swim in the leaden water of the pool. I hate that sound. I hate the sound of despair. It makes me mad. In my dream, I'm mad at those poor people, and I want to yell, Why don't you fight? Why don't you fight? But then it's me. It's me being led out onto that steel pier by a pair of hork warriors. It's me, kicking and screaming and begging, Please, please, someone help me! Knowing there is no help. Knowing I am doomed, and feeling the despair, and hating that feeling inside of me. I feel the hork kick my legs from under me, and I'm face down on the steel pier. And they shove me forward till my face is just an inch above the gray sludge of the yurk pool. It seethes and boils with the swift movements of the yurk slugs. And then my head goes down. Down into the liquid. And the yurk that will own me is there. I see him. A gray slug. A vague, indistinct shape in the liquid. I struggle. But what can I do against two hork I struggle. But my head is held there as I scream bubbles. The yurk touches my ear. Like a large snail. That's how it feels. Then, the pain. It forces its way into my ear. It's inside my ear. The pain is incredible. But so much worse is simply knowing it has me. It surges into my brain, and I am yanked, gasping from the pool. I try to grab my ear, but my arm no longer works. I try to yell, but my mouth is not mine anymore. So I scream, in some dark, lonely corner of my own brain. I scream. And the yurk chuckles as it opens my memories and reads my life. And I give way to the despair. When I woke up, I had soaked the pillow with my sweat. I stared at the clock. 3.27 a.m. The yurk pool. We were going back to the yurk pool. And I, Rachel, mighty Zena, fearless, pulled the covers up over my head and shook. At dawn, I got up and put on a robe. It was cloudy out, so the dawn was just gray. But I went to my window and opened it, just as I do every morning. Tobias arrived, almost silent. He swept inside and landed easily on my dresser. How are you doing? He asked. Fine, I whispered. How about you? I have to whisper when Tobias comes over. My sisters are right in the next room. I keep my door locked. I had a nice breakfast, Tobias said. A lucky hunt. I went to my desk and opened my book. It was my homework. Can you stand math? I've gotten so I kind of like math, Tobias said. It's something that's the same for all humans, or whatever. I opened my book. I guess it was a weird scene. Me, with this big red-tailed hawk perched on the edge of my desk, sitting there in the glow of a single lamp 
while the rest of my family still slept. But we did it lots of mornings, whenever Tobias managed to find an early breakfast and it wasn't raining. You worried about going back to the yerk pool? I laughed nonchalantly. If I'm ever not worried about going to the yerk pool, you can lock me up with Mr. Edelman. Yeah. Look, I'm going with you guys this time. What morph do you think we'll use? I sighed. You don't have to do this, you know. Yes, I do. What morph? I don't know. Probably fly or cockroach. Do you have an entrance for us? Part of what Tobias did with his long days, while the rest of us were in school, was monitor the movements of known controllers. He kept track of the ever-shifting entrances to the yerk pool. It was fairly easy for him. Yeah, I have an entrance, he said. If he'd had a mouth, he would have grinned. You guys are going to love this one. I gave him a sidelong look. If it leads to the yerk pool, I doubt I'll ever love it. Chapter 13 This was not easy to figure out, Tobias said proudly. Hours and hours of following known controllers. Then I had to keep stealing peeks in through the windows. I even morphed a human to check out the inside. That's how I found out about the Happy Mew. We were flies, the six of us. We were inside a McDonald's, zipping madly around. It was crazy. The scent of food was everywhere. Pickles. Meat. Ketchup. Grease. Special sauce. My fly body thought it had died and gone to heaven. Outside of a good trash dump, there is no place a fly likes more than a fast food restaurant. What about the Happy Meal? Cassie asked. Why is the meal happy? Axe asked. Tobias decided to answer Cassie's question. That's how you signal. That's the code. You go up to the counter and say, I'd like a Happy Meal with extra happy. That's the signal. I flew upside down along the ceiling, looking for a place to land and rest. I buzzed to a nice greasy patch near the deep fryer, turned a backflip, and sat down. My mouth, actually, it was more like some insanely long straw that could curl up, extended down and began spitting digestive juices onto the grease, then sucking up the resulting goo. Hey, I know it's gross, but it was either that or keep resisting the fly's desperate cries for food, food, food. After you place the Happy Meal order, you go around like you're going to the bathroom. But instead, you take the other door, the one that goes to the kitchen. You go in, and here's the cool part. You go into the walk-in refrigerator. Then what? Drake asked. Then I don't know. I could never see all the way inside. Okay, so here's the plan, Drake said. We watch till someone orders the Happy Meal with... What was it? Extra happy, Tobias said. Is it just my imagination, or did the Yurks develop a sense of humor? Marco asked. Once we have our controller, we follow him in. No problem, Drake said. Then he added grimly, Oh yeah, no problem. A little picnic in the Yurk pool. I'm sure they'll all buy that. Um, Jake? Marco said. You said the last part out loud. We heard it. Oh, sorry. Mr. Inspiration, I said with a laugh. 
Come on, let's... Ah, ah, ah! Don't say let's do it, Rachel! Marco yelled. We took turns hanging out above the counter, but we didn't have to wait too long till a woman came in and ordered a Happy Meal with extra happy. We buzzed easily along behind her as she went through the door into the kitchen, then into the walk-in refrigerator. Gotta get out of here, man, I said. This cold is slowing me down. Yes, this body has no ability to regulate body temperature, Axe observed. What a strange idea. You humans do many unusual things. Axe, I don't think we're exactly responsible for. Yes, I know. I was attempting to make a joke. A human-style joke. Great, Marco muttered. Funny yurks, and now a wannabe funny andalite. The controller woman waited patiently, and after a few seconds, the back of the walk-in refrigerator split and opened wide. She stepped, and we flew through the opening. It really was going to be easy this time. Unauthorized life forms detected. Unauthorized life forms detected. The controller woman looked around. I saw her blue eyes, each the size of a swimming pool, turn and look. Through the shattered, splintered fly vision, I could see her focus. Then she muttered under her breath, Security fanatics! It's just a couple of lousy flies. But the mechanical voice was giving instructions now. Shut your eyes tightly to prevent damage from the Gleet biofilter. The what? I asked. Get out of here! Axe yelled. What? Out! 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 He yelled. Axe never yells, so if he does yell, you have to figure it was a good idea to pay attention. I spun around in midair, the way only a fly can do, and I hauled wing for the still-open crack that led to the refrigerator. Suddenly, the whole world blew up in a dazzling explosion of light. I felt my compound eyes melt. I flew on, blinded, blew through the rapidly narrowing crack, and hit cold air. I'm blind! I cried. I think we all are, Axe said calmly. We're lucky to just be blinded. A Gleet biofilter destroys all lifeforms whose DNA is not entered into the computer controls. Andalite technology, of course. The Yerks must have stolen the specifications. Axe, are you telling me that filter thing will wipe out any lifeform except for the ones they program it for? Jake asked. Yes, Prince Jake. I'm sorry to say, yes. Everything but the particular human controller. Then we're shut out from the Yurk pool, Tobias said. They must have the same technology at all the entrances now. It was hard to get too upset by the idea of being locked out of the Yurk pool. But it was frustrating. And it kind of made me mad. I didn't like the idea of being outsmarted by the Yurks. There must be some other way in, I said. I'd like to know what it would be, Marco said. For a moment... No one said anything. Then Cassie said, Well, there is one way. I take it back, Marco said. I take it back. I can tell by your tone, Cassie. I really don't want to know. Chapter 14 Back at Cassie's barn, 
we gathered around and stared at a small cage. What is that? A rat? Marco asked. It's a mole, Tobias said. Count on Tobias to know his rodents, Marco said. He looked up at the rafters where Tobias was preening, cleaning his feathers with his beak. How do they taste? I've never caught one. They don't come up to the surface very often. That is one ugly creature, I said. And it looks way too much like a shrew. I had morphed a shrew once. It wasn't a good time. The shrew was way too hyped, way too excitable, and way, way too hungry. It's a lot calmer than a shrew, Cassie said. And like Tobias said, moles spend almost all their time underground. They dig tunnels. See how big the front feet are? They're well adapted for digging tunnels. Marco sighed. Mole Man. You can't even picture a superhero named Mole Man. What would the superpowers be? Digging? Many of your Earth animals are similar to this in shape, Axe observed. Yeah, Cassie agreed. It's a very successful shape. Rats, mice, voles, shrews, even squirrels and raccoons to a certain extent. Your basic, low-slung, four-legged rodent shape. I sighed. So let me get this straight. You're suggesting we morph this mole and dig our way down to the yerk pool? Cassie shrugged. Then she winked at me. Just trying to be helpful. It's probably what? 50 feet down through the dirt to the top of the yerk pool? At least, Tobias said. That's a lot of dirt, Jake said. But I don't know of another way. If we're going to do this, we need to get back to the yerk pool. Has anyone figured out how we're supposed to get a whole lot of oatmeal down there after we dig those mole tunnels? I asked. Jake nodded like he was going to say sure. Instead, he said, Nope, but we need to start stocking up. Everyone start bugging your parents to buy instant maple and ginger flavor oatmeal. Lots of it. We'll start with that. Then we'll spend our allowances for more. Marco shook his head. No need. I do the food shopping at my house. My dad drops me off. Hits Target for all kinds of stuff, then picks me up. I can supply the oatmeal. Okay then, Jake said. Nothing left to do but acquire this mole here. I made a face. I was nearest the cage. Does it bite? I wouldn't think so, Cassie said. It usually just eats... I mean, I don't think it'll bite you. I turned on her. What does it usually eat, Cassie? Well, it eats what you'd expect an underground animal to eat. It eats worms. Mostly worms. Oh, great, I moaned. I stretched out my hand and Cassie opened the cage. I touched the mole and kept my hand there while I felt the mole DNA become a part of me. I suppose the mole became quiet and still, the way most animals do when you acquire them. But who could tell? It was already pretty quiet. When it came to Tobias's turn... The mole got a bit more excited. You have to be in your own body when you acquire new DNA. And now, the hawk body was Tobias's own true body. So to acquire the mole, he had to flop down to the cage and grab the poor creature with his talons. Just as Cassie's father arrived, we left the barn and went toward the school. The Uruk Pool is a vast, underground complex. It's like one of those covered football stadiums or whatever. In the center is the pool itself 
but there is an open area all around the pool. So altogether, it's probably a thousand or fifteen hundred feet across. I'm guessing. We never exactly measured it. It's big for being a hole in the ground. It stretches beneath the school and clear over to the mall. At least the entrances do. The entrances are all concealed stairways that come in from angles all around the pool. We found entrances in the janitor's closet at the school. The Yorks eliminated that one later. And in the dressing rooms at the gap in the mall. Based on the entrances we found over time, I think the center of the Yurk pool is right at this intersection, Tobias said. We were at the intersection between the school and the mall. Well, we can't dig here, I said. We wouldn't want to, Marco pointed out. We don't want to be right over the pool when we dig through. He made a falling motion with his hands, then said, Splash! Good point, I agreed. The idea of falling into the yurk pool itself was nauseating. Jake said, However, we want to be close to the pool itself, so we can tell exactly where it is when we dig through. That way we can dig a horizontal side tunnel out over the pool and use it to drop the oatmeal. Marco nodded. I have the strange feeling this will involve some kind of geometry I should have paid attention to in class. You are asking for a lot of precision, Prince Jake, Axe said. We have no instruments. Struments. Not even primitive human instruments. Struments. Mints? Instruments? We have to make an educated guess, Axe. And don't call me Prince. Yes, Prince Jake. Tobias had come to a rest on a high lamppost. Hawks have amazingly good hearing, so he could still hear us talking. I looked up at him. Tobias, you're the one who keeps track of the entrances and stuff. What's your best estimate? And don't forget, we could use some privacy for morphing, Jake said. Tobias opened his wings and flew up and up. He inscribed a swift, irregular circle in the sky then came back to roost. I think I have a place. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, what what to say, what to say? Not too much. Uh, got a cool new review, though. Uh, I really like this one. This is from, uh, Tenchi who uh, wrote in, uh, titled, Chef's Kiss. Mwah! <laughs> they didn't write the mwah, but, you know, that's a chef. Mwah! Gotta add that in. Uh, the dedication and love of the original books are evident in these podcasts. Daniel goes above and beyond by adding sound effects, which makes each podcast more like an old, uh, excuse me, more like the old-time radio theater than just a dramatic reading. His Marco voice was jarring at first compared to the official audiobooks, but it has grown on me. When I read the books to my son at night, I model the characters' voices after Daniel's example. Thank you for your hard work. It is much appreciated. I believe one day the Andalites will return. Until then, we subscribe to Audiomorphs. That's a great ending. Thank you so much, Tenchi, for writing in and giving me a review. Uh, that's so sweet. Uh, I love that people are uh, sharing Animorphs with their kids and that I'm a part of that. That's so very, very cool to me. Um, and something I never... Honestly, I thought this was this would be a podcast that would appeal to a bunch of you know twenty to thirty year olds, and it'd be like a nostalgia thing. Uh, I totally forgot that like kids exist, um, and it's just so so cool to me that uh, 
the thing I'm making is is being shared or influencing uh, uh, the proliferation of Animorphs. That's really, really cool. Also, just point of order, uh, my Marco voice came first. Uh, Scholastic is still catching up with me. <laughs> but no, uh, thank you so much, and uh, I'm glad you got over the jarringness of my Marco voice, and that it seems to have grown on you. That's very cool. Thank you for writing in, Tenchi. Uh, if you would like to give me a rev- uh, wonderful review like Tenchi has, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, where one goes to review things. Uh, give me a review. Uh, I am told bumps me in the algorithm for uh, Apple Podcasts so that more people see this podcast, which is very cool. So uh, if, you know, the spirit so moves you, please give me a review. Uh, you can also just write to me if, if you don't want to give me a review, but you'd like to say something to me. You can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or, of course, on my website, theapodcalypse.com. That's the apocalypse. It's like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle to make a very dumb pun. Uh, there is a, a uh, contact form on there, as well as all the other projects that I have made over the years. Um, I'm actually currently uh, trying to make some sort of... Uh, miniature tabletop system uh, based loosely on C- the CW's Riverdale. <laughs> uh, I've titled that one uh, Big Dreams Sexy Teens, um, and hopefully within the next couple of months, that'll be up there and complete. Um, this is just how I spend my free time. Um, this is just who I am as a person. Uh, so so thank you all for listening. I, um, I've actually been super tired today, so I'm going to cut out here without too much more ado. Uh, thank you all, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.